sweet to be a Christian. In times like these, you need a Savior. Whatever time you were born, that was the right time. Sometimes we old-timers discourage the young people inadvertently. Inadvertently, we discourage the young people by talking about the good old days. See, for us, it was a good old day. But for you, these are the good old days. You young people, Philip, all that, this is the good old days. This is something you'll talk back about being a gospel Baptist and how God was with you and how you had your first child and living in a camper and stuff like that. You'll talk about those will be the good old days for you. And we've got the same thing. We got the good old days, but boy, if you're born and you're born for such a time as this, this is when God knew you'd be here, and He'll equip you to do what He needs you to do. So, you young people in the room, be encouraged in the moment you live. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged that you can fight the good fight of faith and the, and the challenges that are going to come up here. Take your Bibles to Ezekiel. I don't know about you, but the way I have my Bible reading planned out. Usually I do Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel about the month of November, December. Uh, sometimes I do it in a month. Sometimes it's a month and a couple of weeks into December. But I end up doing those four books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel at the end of the year. <laughs> well, I don't know if recently you've read through those four books, but they're, they're tough. Really, those books are the prophets God speaking to the prophets for the failure of Israel and the repeated failure. Failure after failure, they turned upon God, were just so faithless, and it was amazing. And he finally had to judge them in a way he did, and he pronounces it in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So no doubt those books are tough, but they also show us a little bit of who God is and what he'll do to those who turn back, and what nation, what he does to nations that turn back away from him. I believe we should preach the whole counsel of God. I've tried in these last years, the years I've been here, to preach the whole counsel of God all through all the books of the Bible, uh, meaning where God wants me to go and preach that counsel. I keep strict, clear computer records of where I've been and what I've done in the last 30 years, 35 years. Ezekiel 14, going through verse oh, verse 12 through 20, uh, an amazing thing is mentioned here, and hopefully we'll ferret this out tonight some. The word of God came again to me, saying, it's Ezekiel, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by transgressing, trespass, by trespassing grievously, grievously. Let me stop there and say there's four areas we find in this, these short verses, 12 through 20, where God shows how. It's not the only way he judges these people and their nations, but it's some ways, at least four ways tonight on how to do that. I want you to mark them as we get to it. He said, they've, they've trespassed against me grievously. Then will I stretch out mine hand upon them and will break the staff of bread. He's going to take away your groceries. And will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. I don't. I've never been through a famine. In America, here we have 65% of Americans are overweight, dramatically overweight, and that's because we have so much food, food everywhere. If you try to fast for a week, and but if you do, don't watch TV. 
because every other commercial is a delicious this and a delicious that and steam coming off of it. And, you know, they just got the thing. And everywhere you look in magazines, it's food this. And the first time I fasted uh, for a week with only on water, I could not believe how food is pushed on us. I mean, everywhere. Let me say this. It heightens your, after about day five, your awareness of food becomes critical. I mean, you become like real heightened to smells of food when you go buy places and smell it. Uh, people talking about food. People talk about food. My daughter-in-law, she likes to cook. She just likes, likes to get into food, 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 food. It's amazing she don't weigh three times more than she does. I'm in trouble now. But though he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, first thing he says, the nation turns against me, children of Israel specifically, I'm going to take away their food. I know lately there's been in the news famine, talk of famine. I've never heard in my life talk of famine, but I've lately heard it. Selling our farms to China and et cetera, et cetera. And their small farmer is the backbone of America, yet the 80-acre farm. The 80-acre farm, the people from overseas came here. They got them 100 acres or 80 acres by horse and by mule or whatever they had to plow it. That was about all they could do, about 80 acres. You go up in Wisconsin and Minnesota and all that's all 80-acre farms, all people up there. Those were some Norwegian, a lot of them. They were one tough group of people. They weathered those in the Minnesota weather and the Wisconsin weather up there. And they, those fields are full of stones. In the winter, the ice and freeze deal pulls the stones up to the surface. And they have stone walls. They made, there were so many stones. They made, they made walls around their fields with stone that they got out of the field. And they made stone foundations to their barns. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've seen that? Stone foundations to their barn. Motor, I motorcycled all the back country over there. And uh, we just couldn't believe how much work there was because you knew they didn't have front-end loaders, man. They didn't have anything to pick them up but humans and horses and maybe some donkeys and some people like that. They had to get themselves. And every spring, the stones would come up, and they'd hit them with their plow, and they'd pull them out of the ground, put them on the edge of the field, or make foundations out of them and all come in. First of all, before they did all that, they had to cut all the trees down and root, get all the... If you know anything about that area, it's, it's massive forest. One thing I was disappointed in motorcycling through Wisconsin was uh, it's like this. There are trees, big trees, along close to the road, and you can't see anything. You see trees, woods, trees, woods. I'm looking for like, you know, big sky country, Montana or something. I don't know what I was expecting. I was expecting you could see. But a lot of the Wisconsin area, a lot of the northern Wisconsin, Green Bay area, it was just solid trees. I mean, I was amazed at how many trees. Almost like we have some Canadian people here in New Brunswick. If you go up to New Brunswick, it is a mass forest in New Brunswick. We get our lumber from New Brunswick. We get a lot of our pressure-treated lumber from New Brunswick. Beautiful, beautiful forests up in northern Canada. where they, they uh, And they manage them and forest them, also western Canada. And so, anyways, I said all that to say this. That famine is a horrible thing. I can tell you one thing. The people who moved into those areas, they cared about eating. Everything they planned on was about getting a crop in the ground so that they could eat, so they could have seed, so they could grow seed. and grow. Everything was about eating. 
everything, you say, well, everything's the real one about building houses is that they built the house so they could farm and eat because without eating, you can't live. And we don't know what that's like. That sounds like a foreign concept, doesn't it? What I'm talking about, famine. Well, you go to the grocery store, and just about anything you'd ever dream about is there. How many times, we have a hurricane here once in a while. We have a hurricane, people are like, you know, they, they're like, man, I went to the grocery store, and I couldn't get a loaf of bread. Like that was a big deal, you know, it's a really big deal. Well, they couldn't, what they're meaning is they couldn't get their brand they wanted. I've learned something about buying bread, though. I'm going to pass this on to you. It's for free. You buy the Publix white bread, the cheapest bread they make, full of all the chemicals. It is soft and supple and makes tremendous toast. But you buy this whole wheat stuff, it's not worth throwing to the dogs. I know you health food people love that. Anyway, I got to go a little faster than this. It says, I'm going to judge your land with famine until I cut off man and beast. There was a famine is going to be so bad, people are going to die. Animals are going to die. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, you ought to mark that. Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Wow. Verse 15, if I cause noisome beasts, as uh, vicious like lions, I would suppose, tigers, I would suppose that to be wolves, bears, to pass through the land and to spoil it so that it be desolate that no man may pass through because of the beast. Now, I've never lived in a time, this sounds foreign to us, that you live in a time when the, the uh, carnivorous beasts are so prevalent that you can't pass through a land. That's what I've heard about it in Africa. I've heard that the lions roam in areas sometimes they dominate, or tigers in India. I've heard that tigers oftentimes kill a bunch of people, pull them out at night. At night they come and get them, sometimes out of their bed. And they, those people had no very little means to kill those tigers. They had bone and arrows and you know slings and stones. And, and when, these, when these beasts came in, they couldn't thin them out, and they were very vicious. Well, there it is right there. And it says, and though these three were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Verse 17, or if I bring a sword upon the land, this is the third way God judges the land. That's war, brother against brother, hand against man. To bring a sword upon the land, sword to go through the land and to cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence, um, you could say COVID was a pestilence, but I'm thinking more of the Black Death, the Black Death of Europe. By the way, bubonic, I think that was bubonic plague. Am I right, Doc? Bubonic plague was a Black Death. They found a case in the United States. I just saw, read this on the news last week. There was a case of bubonic plague in the United States of America uh, the last week. They've identified it as bubonic plague. I thought that was all gone by now. But bubonic plague killed 80% of Europe. I read one time it took 200 years for Europe to repopulate to the, to the place they were when the bubonic plague started. Now that is a biblical proportion pestilence. It can happen. 
In fact, I just read last uh, yesterday it was that the, they believe there'll be another a pandemic, or we can call it pestilence, coming much worse than COVID. So they're already naysaying and gloom and doom and that there's going to be something bad coming. And what a way to fight a war. That's a different kind of way to do it. But God said, hey, I'm into this. He said, I'll send a pestilence into the land and pour out my fury upon, the, in, upon it in blood to cut off the man and beast. Though Noah, Daniel, or Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, but they shall deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Man, oh man. That's not who you, you read the New Testament, you don't see that God. But that is God also. Jesus came to the New Testament, he is the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, the gentle Savior. He wouldn't uh, break a reed. He was gentle and sweet because he came as a sacrifice for our sins. But the God of the Old Testament, by the way, is the same God of the New Testament. Jesus, when people stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment, is going to be this God that you just read about. He's going to judge people, and they'll be cast into a place called the lake of fire uh, because of their unrighteousness and unwillingness to, to bend the knee, as it were, to the authority of the Lord Jesus and who he is. We learned something of who God is and his feelings about sin in the Old Testament that you really do not get if you just read the New Testament. You miss it. The USA has been blessed directly in proportion to the godliness of this country. This country was started on the premise of the Lord Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You can go back into documents. It's well proven. Uh, we, we adopted a Judeo-Christian law system uh, like nobody else ever has adopted, like nobody else ever has had. God raised up America as a, as a uh, miracle nation from a fledgling group of people that should have been beaten and wiped off the map. God had them win against one of the greatest power in the world, England. And it was amazing that he developed a philosophy of freedom, First Amendment, freedom of speech. Second Amendment, freedom to bear arms and to protect yourself and to defend your property property rights and all these other things that were in other nations uh, they did not have or didn't even, maybe even dreamt of, Not didn't have it for sure in England. But it's God who blesses a nation. Psalm 33, 12 said, Blesses a nation whose God is the Lord and the people he had chosen for his own inheritance. In Deuteronomy, God lays out a set of curses and blessings to the nation of Israel in chapter 27 and 28. And I don't know if you've read through that in a while. You people that don't read your Bible through, you're missing out. You're missing out. You've got to go back and read Deuteronomy. Read the whole book of Deuteronomy. Get the context of it. And then read 27 and 28. Uh, those are the cursings of, of the, those two chapters were read from Mount Ebal. And the blessings of those two chapters were read from Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And these apply, of course, directly in first application to God's people, the children of Israel. But if they don't do that, this is what they'll receive. In Psalm 9, 17, it says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. That means they knew God. You can't forget God if you never knew it. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. So there's not going to be no nation saying, Well, we didn't know who you were. 
Did you notice the birds? Did you notice the animals? Did you notice the firmament? Did you notice the stars? Did you notice the Milky Way? Did you notice all that's around you that's functioning without your help? That's me. It should have concluded there was a designer behind that. When they knew God, they glorified him, not a God. became vain their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The worst judgment that God can perform upon anybody is reprobation. Reprobation is simply God giving you, when you don't want to know God, God giving you what you want. You don't want to know God, he'll take the thought of God out of your thoughts. You'll never respond to anything God says. You'll, you'll carelessly, haplessly go on to death and judgment, eventually being cast in the lake of fire. That's the worst judgment possible that God could do for you. These four judgments that we just read, a lot of people got right with God when those judgments came into their land. Those judgments were actually merciful for the children of Israel. Had he allowed them to be prospered in the way they were going, they would have thought there was no God. And they would have went on until eventually they died and stood before God in judgment. But God in his mercy causes things like famine, things like pestilence, things like war. People get saved during wartime. America in World War II came back to God in a great way because they were, they were threatened. They didn't. By the way, the World War II people did not know the outcome of that war. You know, we read history and say, well, they, we won the war. You did, they didn't know that. My dad said it was a whole nother feeling. Uh, to live in that period of time when you did not know who was going to win. You didn't know if Germany was going to win. You didn't know if, if Japan, with Germany, they, they united together. If Japan or Germany together were not going to win that thing. Nobody knew the outcome of that. And there was a sense of, of, of intrepidation that covered America. And with that sense of intrepidation came a sense of repentance for their sin because people began to seek God because they've read the Scripture uh, the blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. They began to read that. Preachers preached that. I've, I've listened. If you want to listen to some fiery sermons, go back in 1942, 43, 44, and listen to the preachers in America, across America and how they preached. The old timers preached about hell, brother. They talk, if you didn't live, you didn't get saved, you were going to hell. They didn't mince the words. In fact, they got maybe a little overboard on that. So all you people felt like that's all they preached about. They didn't. They preached about other subjects. What they preach their, their fair share about that. God's method here of judgment looks for a person who will intercede for these wayward the wayward nation and give him reason not to judge it. God doesn't want to judge it. He doesn't want to do it. But in some cases, there are no one arises to help, and his righteousness demands a certain amount of judgment, similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. The evil of Sodom and Gomorrah got so bad it finally came up before God's attention and he had to judge him. There was nobody to intercede for Simon and Gomorrah. And, and Lot, that's one of the things he failed at, was evidently he didn't intercede for them like he should have, even though he was righteous Lot. God would have wanted to save him. If you don't believe that, you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. This is a Bible study tonight. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. And I should not destroy it. But I found out God didn't want to destroy him. He said, I sought for somebody. And I, I, it's interesting to me, he sought for a man, just one person. If he had just one, evidently just one person that was willing to, to humble themselves and, 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 and fast and pray for their land and 
put themselves out for, for God. And he said, I'll work through that guy to help save the land. Second Chronicles 7.14, most of you are very familiar with it. My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. But in the text here we read, we learned something very sobering. There's a time when God's mercy ends. Oh, my, my, what a sermon. Now, in America, in my 72 years in America, we have seen the repeated, overwhelming mercy of God. I probably, in my 72 years, have lived in the most prosperous, benefiting time, materially, physically, than maybe in the history of the world, in a general sense, both in the among poor people and among uh, the middle class and among the rich. It's just simply unbelievable how God has blessed America. I mean, if we travel around a motorcycle and we have just everything, we've got forests, we've got coal, we've got wood, we've got, we've got water. We're a well-watered land except for a few places out west. Uh, we're just just a blessed land. I mean, just unbelievably blessed land. We have mountains. We have hills. We have valleys, magnificent valleys. We've got magnificent rivers, Mississippi River, Ohio River, Missouri River, cutting through America. Farmland that just may, takes your breath away in Nebraska. Sometimes some of those areas in Nebraska, South Dakota, just takes your breath away when you see the magnificent farmland. Well, we drove, I don't know if you were with us, Bill, but we drove from, Tom and I drove from the west part of Nebraska. You remember that? We drove from the west part of Nebraska all the way to the east part of Nebraska, and it was all the same. Corn, wheat, and just food. They're just growing food. I told this is where our food's coming from. This is unbelievable. I never saw anything like it. But why did, the, why did God mention these three men? Well, that was introduction. Why did God mention these three men? Out of all the human history, out of all the biblical history, up to the writing of Ezekiel, he mentions these three men. Why did he do that? Well, let me give you some reasons that I believe he mentioned these three men. First of all, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, a preacher of righteousness who walked with God and found grace in his sight. Let me read you the verses. Genesis 6, 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God, right? Quote out of the book. 2 Peter 2, 5 talks about him some. and says, and God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Who was Daniel? Well, Daniel was greatly beloved. Daniel, I believe, was a grandson of Hezekiah, uh, of Josiah. Uh, not Hezekiah, but Josiah. And uh, the nation had backslidden one, just one too many times. He brought in the Babylonians. Uh, very likely, Daniel's mom and dad were killed, maybe before his eyes. Daniel was castrated and, and neutered uh, and taken as a slave boy. Uh, to use his intellect uh, with some other boys, too, who were taken to the people who killed his, his family, probably destroyed his nation, burned his temple, and uh, desecrated his God's 
place of worship. I mean, not too many people I know wouldn't have been bitter after all that. Not too many people I know that would, that would happen to them, that they wouldn't have come across saying, I hate these people. I'm going to get even with them. That's not who he was. That's not who he was. He didn't get bitter. Bible said he was greatly beloved, Daniel 10, 11. Bible says in Ezekiel 28, 3, he was a man of wisdom. He was a man of faithful intercessory prayer, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. He was a man of character and undaunting purpose, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. He was a man of vision and a close, had a close walk with God in Daniel chapter 2, verse 19. The third man he mentions, God mentions, is Job. Uh, Job possibly being before all of these, I believe it was before uh, Noah. Uh, and some people don't believe that. Some believe it was after Noah, but believe what you want on that. These are some of the early time. Job was a man perfect and upright who feared God and skewed evil, Job 1.1. 1, 1. He was a man of intercessory prayer for others. We know that from Job chapter 15, verse 4. He was a man of great patience. We learn that in James chapter 5, verse 11. So what we find, these, what, what do we find in these, when we examine these three men? What do they have in common that God would take all the people that had lived and said, if these three men were there during the judgments I pronounced on the land, this kind of righteousness would have, God says, I couldn't have judged them. I would save them. And what amazed me also, he said, I wouldn't have saved their wives. I wouldn't have saved their children. I wouldn't have saved their relatives. He said, the only people I would save would be these three men, and that would be for their personal righteousness, and that wouldn't have affected their families. They would have lost their families. I thought that was amazing. That seems to be, I asked the question, what kind of righteousness is he talking about that he was saving well, I did a little research on this, and here's what I came up with. We have a few things. First of all, all three of these men all made life-changing decision to follow God rather than to do their own thing. In the sound of my voice tonight, have you decided to follow God? Sounds simplistic, but it's huge. Have you decided, I'm talking about number one, because everybody has number one. I don't know what's in your number one slot necessarily, but your number one purpose for living, everybody has somebody in that number one, or has something in that number one purpose. Sometimes it's fame, sometimes it's position, sometimes it's, it's satis personal satisfaction, sometimes it can, and that can go in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's wealth. So you're, but you're going to make something number one in your life. These men made God number one. It was a decision. And I believe you have the capability of making the same decisions as these men made. They put God as number one. It was a life-changing decision to follow God rather than anything else. Noah decided one day to follow God. As crazy as it seemed, Daniel decided one day to follow God, not to be bitter and hateful or have a wounded spirit or grief. Job decided one day to follow God in spite of losing his 10 children and all of his wealth, his fame, and being physically decimated. The question I ask you tonight is, have you had that day? Brush yourself up. 
Get rid of all any of the alibis that come here Wednesday. Do I, do I really? Do I really put God first in everything I do? That doesn't mean you can't be a plumber. That doesn't mean you can't be an electrician. That doesn't mean you can't be any any uh, honest uh, occupation in life to make a living. It's not about making a living. It's about who you live for. You can make this decision these men had. God saw that, and it pleased him. And he said, I'll save you. No matter what I do to these nations, no matter what I do around you, if these men were here, they'd be saved. Number two, I noticed, these three men all suffered great isolation. Noah was the only one in the world who God could find to choose. He was isolated. Genesis 6, 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He stood above all of that. Daniel was a, Daniel was a foreigner in a nation of heathen idol worshipers and a bunch of immoral, rich brats. The Babylonians were spoiled brats. We're talking about the leadership in the, in the Babylonians. He didn't give in to that. He suffered great isolation. Daniel, many, 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 many days felt he had no friends except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know how close they actually physically were to each other, meaning were they in the same location all the time or not. They may have been in different locations. They were isolated, alone, stand out. A lot of times kids, young people, are real affected by peer pressure, aren't they? What their peers do. These men made the rules. They didn't follow the, they didn't follow the, peop, the kids that were making the rules. They didn't follow the peer pressure. They made their own set of rules by the grace of God to follow him. Another thing I noticed with Job, he was picked out of the whole world by God as an example of righteous man. I mean, woo, Satan comes before God and he says, hey, have you seen my servant Job? About all the people on earth. He pointed Job out. I thought, wow, wow. So they were very isolated. They made a life-changing decision to put God first. They were very isolated. Number three, these men all suffered great personal ridicule. You better get over being so sensitive. To ridicule. Just as Brother Morris would say, he's got his headset on so you can hear me. Just get over it. It'll save your marriage. Personal ridicule. Don't be so sensitive to it. Don't take it so hard. Don't take it like it's the last, oh, he don't like me. Stop. If God be for you, who can be against you? Well, the first decision, of course, making God number one. You keep the right relationship with God no matter what the world thinks of you. Even, even your peers think of you. These people were able to do, have, they suffered great personal ridicule. Noah, no, Noah, man, 
I'm going to build an, a boat and a ship. I mean, this is a 500-foot ship. I'm going to build it. It's 450 feet long, uh, 75, 45 feet high, and 75 feet wide. It was a barge, the first barge. And he was going to build out of wood, put it together. He must have built it in the middle of a woods because it makes sense to me that you build it in the middle of a woods so you didn't have to haul the lumber very far. But he had to mill all that lumber, had to find a tar. People didn't, up to this point in history, it had never rained. There had never been a flood. He said, it's going to rain. There's going to be a flood. And they go, come on. I mean, it was the most ridiculous thing you could probably set somebody up for. And Noah was willing to believe God, as crazy as that all sounded. And he was, and he was willing for about 120 years to tell them, God's going to come and judge you folks with a flood. It's going to kill you if you don't repent and get in this ark with us. You're going to die. He was willing to put up with personal ridicule and be isolated. Daniel, oh, by the very fact of his diet, first thing he gets taken to Babylon, he don't want to. He don't want to do the, He don't want to eat the pig and all the stuff that the Law of Moses said not to eat and do what he was supposed. He says, "I want to have a different diet than everybody else." And he, of course, God was with him and allowed him to prosper with that vegetarian diet that he ate. And I don't get any ideas. Daniel was able to stand alone, stand under ridicule. Job, man, his wife ridiculed him, cursed God and die. That was tough. His three best friends, which weren't even weren't so good of friends, ridiculed him and said, you must have done something wrong because God surely wouldn't judge somebody like this if he didn't do something wrong. Job didn't do anything wrong. It was just a test. Fourth thing I see about these three men is that they all resolved to trust God no matter what came their way. They didn't collapse and have a nervous breakdown and lose their faith in God because something didn't go their way or many things didn't go their way. Uh, they made a decision to follow God. They experienced this great, tremendous isolation from the people around them. They had great ridicule, and fourthly, they had great resolve. They resolved to just, they wouldn't have, it would have never made it had they not made this kind of resolution. They just had to get down by themselves with God and say, I just resolve, no matter what swirls around me, no matter what, I just, I'm just going to trust God. Boy, this will help you through life. Trust God. The Bible talks a lot about just trusting God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. He's going to take care of you. You can relax. You can enjoy the journey some, even if there is some troubles along the journey. Fifthly, I notice that made these, that made these men special with God is they received great reward. Yeah. They, did, they weren't this way for nothing. God blessed them. He says in Ezekiel chapter, what we read there, he says in Ezekiel, if you were around, if these, these three men were already gone, but if these men were around, I'd save them from my, my own judgment upon this upon these land. That was a reward, the fact he'd saved them, but it was much deeper than that, much deeper. These men out of all the world, 
of choices that God had, they became the very, I'm going to call them teacher's pet. Do teachers have pet, Amy? They have pets. You know they do. I'd always get in class, and guess what I was? I was not the teacher's pet. That's what, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, they, I got to sit right next to the teacher. I thought that was a good, I thought that was like the teacher's pet. I got to sit right up there with the teacher. Later on, I found out that's where the bad boy sits, right next to hers to keep her eye on you. Anyway, so Noah became the father of many nations, the whole world. Shem, Ham, and Japheth were all, you know, we're all from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You know, like it or not, I'm your family. That will make your day. I'm your family. Don't treat me like I'm some foreigner. I'm your blood of your blood. Yeah, Doc. We're all the same blood. Blood of your blood. Shem, we're all from Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You treat people a little different when you understand that. You're all real family together. He made Noah the beginning of... Just like Adam was the beginning of everybody up to Noah, then Noah started it over again. Daniel guided the the world's power, Babylon, in the day. He literally guided the decision-making of them. Belteshazzar, the last guy, Belshazzar, excuse me, Belshazzar. Well, that's one of my favorite portions, the portions of the whole Bible, that area where he writes on the wall, meaning, meaning, tekel you farsen. And I have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. They were a bunch of spoiled brats. All they ever knew was prosperity. They were taking the, 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 the uh, golden vessels of the temple, putting wine in them, and drinking it to the God of wine. That night, the Bible said, Medo-Persians broke in the wall and slaughtered them like pigs. They didn't honor God. Job gained twice the wealth he formerly had. And I've said this a lot of times, and I'll say it again. His wife, who cursed him, had to have another 10 kids, which I think she got her comeuppance on that. And these men, these men to this night, February 18th, 2024, we're talking about them. This is way more famous than Michelle Jackson. This is way more famous than Prince. This is way more famous than the Beatles. Way more famous than Mick Jagger. Way more famous than Abraham Lincoln. Way more famous than Genghis Khan. Way more famous than Emperor Nero. We're still talking about these guys. This is what God will do for you if you do what these men did for them, for him. You know, people seek fame. But if you want real fame, you do these five decisions. You decide to make God number one. You're willing to put up with isolation. 
You're willing to be ridiculed. You make, a, you make resolve to do God's will, whatever it is, and however he points it out to you. And understand that God gives great reward to those who are He said, these three men. May God help us understand why he chose those three men. Father in heaven, thank you tonight for the word of God, the power of God. Thank you for the Bible that cares about us. We learn wisdom from the ages. Help us. We only got one shot. We got one run through, one run through in this life, just one time. We don't have time to figure it out. We just have to faith it out. We just have to read the word of God, the wisdom of the ages, and believe this is the way to go, walk in it, and live this way. But people that I've known, Christians that have lived for God, I've seen some sorry Christians, but I've never seen Christians that are sorry they live for Jesus. Help us, oh God, to understand these things tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.